So, we've been here together for about <clears throat> 24 hours or so, for the most part engaged in the practice of meditation, or seeking, we may sometimes feel, to engage in it and wondering what on earth it's all about. So I'd like to reflect some on this process, this journey that we're engaged in here together. And at the same time as reflecting on this process to equally reflect on why we're engaged in this process, what it is that's really important about what we're doing here. And we could equally phrase that in terms of what it is that's really important in our lives, what matters. What we tend to notice here, we think we've come along to meditate and to learn to meditate, which is true, that's certainly part of what happens here. But what also happens here, and which is in a way equally why we've come, though we may not have known it, is we come to see our life. We've come here to see what is happening, what's going on. Because in life it's easy to not actually really notice or see clearly what's driving or what's moving or what's pulling us through this experience that we call being alive. We tend to somehow just arrive. We turn up here, we're born, we didn't normally organise or plan that ourselves. At least I don't remember doing it for myself. And we kind of get drawn into this, this world that we're born into that we engage with, that we live in. And in this, what we notice is we we come into this space of meditation retreat, of silence, of practice, of reflective, contemplative attention. We notice that it's actually quite hard to be mindful. It's actually rather difficult to be present, to be attentive to our experience and not get lost in thinking about it or reacting to it. I I mean, I don't really want to assume that that's what your experience was today, but certainly people speak pretty frequently, and I know from my own experience that when we sit down to be present, that's not always what happens, is it? In fact, sometimes what we notice is just how much we're not present. And it can be kind of stark and a little bit embarrassing to begin with when we think we're supposed to be able to do this rather simple exercise that we've been invited to do, which is be conscious and mindful of where we are and bring our attention to bear upon the experience of our body, our breath, as we sit, as we walk. So we see that this experience, or what what we see here on the retreat is something that is reflecting our life. It's not happening because we're here, because we're meditating or sitting still that it's so hard to pay attention like that. It's not something that's just occurred because of these particularly difficult conditions we've placed ourselves in. It's like, this is what our mind does most of our life, but we're not always aware of that. We're not conscious that that's what's going on because we're in it somehow. We're drawn along by it. And so... It's as though we live out of touch with our life, disconnected from it, as if we're somehow submerged in a current that's washing us through our life, in which we feel at times we get sort of tumbled and we feel sort of we bang against the rocks and we get pulled through the rapids and barely come up for air now and then. And it's the sense of being pulled and drawn. That the power of unconsciousness, that habit, that pull, is something we need to see and recognize. Ajahn Buddhadasa, Ajahn means teacher, and Buddhadasa means servant of the Buddha. He, he was a, a much loved and respected teacher in Thailand who, uh, who died in the, the 1990s. And he was once asked to describe the world. He responded in three words. He said, lost in thought. Interesting, of all the different ways we could describe the world. Lost in thought. 
When we come on retreat, when we engage in meditation practice, I think we can get a sense of what he was pointing to. We see how strongly, how quickly, how repetitively we get pulled into thinking. And how much effort and how much commitment and how much patience it requires to just keep stopping, letting go of that pull, coming back to where we are coming back into contact with what's actually happening right here. And it's really important to know where we are in terms of what matters, of what's really important. This place that we find ourselves in is is precious and profound in what it offers to us. But we spend so much of our time absent from it and half the time not even aware that that is so. There's a story that kind of illustrates the situation quite well and how and illustrates also how we tend to respond to when we recognize it. It involves a businessman who was going to a very important meeting in the country and he uh, had to find a place called Thornton Hall and he didn't know where it was and so he was driving through the the um driving through the roads he'd gone off the sort of the main road and he was looking um, where he'd been told to go, and he couldn't find it. And he was starting to get a bit concerned because he was late for his meeting. It was really important. There was a big deal going to be sort of done. And um, he saw a farmer working in the field, so he pulled over and called out to him, Excuse me! And the farmer came over, sort of said hello, and the, the businessman said, can you, can you tell me where Thornton Hall is? It's supposed to be around here somewhere. And the... Uh, the farmer said, oh, no, sorry, haven't heard of it, actually. Don't know where it might be. And the the businessman said, OK, can you tell me the name of this road that I'm on? Because I can't find it on my satellite navigation system. It doesn't seem to appear. And the farmer said, well, actually, <clears throat> no, I don't really know if it has a name. And if it does, I certainly don't know it. It's just the road past this field. And the businessman's feeling quite pressured and frustrated. And he says, well... You know, can you tell me then the quickest way to get onto the main highway again? To get because I, I, I'm kind of, I've got to get to this important meeting. And the farmer says, actually, I don't know. You can go that way. You can go that way. I don't know which is the quickest way. You know, how would I know that? And the, the, the businessman looks at him. He says, Gosh, you don't really seem to know very much at all, do you? The farmer smiles at him. He says, No, you're right, I guess. But I'm not lost. And what the story points to, and maybe it's obvious, but what I find interesting to reflect on, that sense of how we, we kind of want to know a lot of information about where we are. We want to know where it is in relationship to other places. We want to know how to get from here to somewhere else. We want to know what to call it, to give it a name. And when we can't do that, it's kind of frustrating. It feels like, how can I make use of this experience if I can't name it or put it in relationship to something else or if it's not on the way to some place I have to get to. And we can get kind of frustrated and annoyed if we if we aren't able to figure all that out. But there's another way we can relate to the experience of being here, which is that we may not actually need to have all that information about it before it becomes of value to us. It might be that we can just allow ourselves to be here and see what is that experience? What is it to be in the midst of our life? And take responsibility for the fact that we got here. It's not that we have to blame ourselves that we're in this condition that we're in, but it's up to us to address it. There's not, there's, someone else isn't going to solve this for us. It doesn't work that way. It'd be nice. I wouldn't mind if someone could, for me, you know, solve all the things that would be... Nice if they were solved, but it doesn't work that way. We have to take responsibility for our life and for where we find ourselves. And where we find ourselves is here. And so we start to look and see, well, what's going on here? What, what's happening here? And much of what's happening is this, this process, as I said, of becoming disconnected from our experience, getting caught in a reaction to it or a story about it. And somehow then losing touch with the actual experience and relating to the ideas, the concepts, the stories, the sense of past and future 
that seem to be woven around it sort of in a way that entangles or um, obscures just the simple fact of, oh, we're here and it's like this. We've got all these ideas of how it should be, how we'd like it to be, how we were told it was going to be. And yet, this is how it is. And what goes on in that is that there's this, this sense of wanting to get to some place or some experience or some result. Or there's a sense of wanting to get away from some experience or some place or some result. And it's maybe not immediately obvious, but if we stay with ourselves in this process, if we stay with what's going on, as we just keep coming back into contact with our body, with our breath, with a sense of sitting or walking or standing or going through the day, we can start to feel there's the sense of, I need to get to something else. Something's got to happen. I've got to succeed at meditation or whatever it might be. I've got to solve something here or produce something here. And it just goes on and on and on. It just goes on and on and on. If we haven't really seen how that takes place, it's like there's this sense of no matter where we are or what's going on, we can always start to tell ourselves a story about it, about how we could improve it, about what could be fixed. And yet, all of that activity, all of that busyness never seems to come to any Resolution. It never seems to come to any end. It just goes on and on. And it's kind of exhausting and frustrating and ultimately really not satisfying at all. And so in Dharma teachings, we, we reflect on, we, we begin to pay attention to and notice What's going on? To see how, at times, our experience isn't what we want it to be. We're sitting here and the body's sort of dull or heavy. And we kind of, we don't like that. We want it to feel bright and alive. Or our mind is sort of reactive and busy and won't stay steady for very long at all. And we think, well, I've got to sort that out. And we, we, we don't really let ourselves be where we are. We don't really allow ourselves to inhabit the experience as it is. Much of the time there's a, there's a way in which we're telling ourselves, no, it's got to be different. It's got to be better. It's got to be calmer. It's got to be more sort of peaceful than it is. They said we were supposed to be relaxed. I'm not relaxed. I need to be more relaxed. They said I was supposed to be alert. I'm not alert. I'm tired. It's like we very easily hear even the instructions in the meditation as something that we have to do or produce or perform. And we make our meditative process and experience into something not so dissimilar to our life. The difference here is, of course, that we begin to see what we're doing. We have the support and the conditions here for beginning to notice what's going on in our heart and our mind. And to consider whether it serves us, whether it is really what we want to support and give our energy to. I mean, have you noticed that at all today? That sense of kind of sort of gearing up to to get there, to figure it out, to make it happen, to get it to work, to succeed at meditation. Or whatever it might be. It's okay if you have. There's no need to be sort of embarrassed. It's what mostly we do. It's kind of we've been trained. Some of us, you know, trained for decades and decades and decades to be really good at that. And coming here, we don't just suddenly put it down. But we can start to see it and start to feel how it affects us. You know, we come to the end of the day. And often we're quite tired. Does anyone kind of feel tired at the end of the day? We're not quite at the end of the day, but it can be sort of, oh, that was quite a full day. Now, if you were to describe to some of your friends at home what you've been doing all day, well, well, we we sat on a soft cushion for a little while, you know, didn't have to do anything, got up and ambled back and forth pretty slowly and sat down again for a while and did a bit more walking, had some food, rested a bit, did some more sitting down and walking around. 
And that was such hard work. I was exhausted. The friends would look at us and say, huh? How could that be? And yet, it is, it can be really exhausting because we're, A, we're kind of trying to make something happen, but also we're learning to make the more skillful effort to step out of that momentum, that urge, that pull to try and get somewhere, to try and produce something. And so what we're asked to consider in this context and in the, in the journey of meditation is what's really important for us. What are we really looking for in our life? What's really meaningful? And it might not be that we have some kind of ready-made answer for that. It's not necessary to have one. But what's important and useful is to let the question touch us. Let there be a sense of maybe curiosity or interest around, well, what might that be? If I didn't assume I know what I have to do for my life to be fulfilling, to be meaningful, to be rich and replete with what I long for. In terms of the the Dharma teachings, the teachings of the Buddha, which we talk of as Dharma teachings, Dharma meaning the way things are, and the teachings that point us to the way things are. In these terms, we we recognize and understand that, that peace and freedom wisdom and compassion, that these are the fundamental things that we seek for in our hearts and that we need to develop and cultivate in order to really discover for ourselves a sense of fulfilment, a sense of meaning, a sense of somehow meeting that within us which is looking for something that maybe we have not found. And yet the world around us tells us something very different. The world around us tells us that we need to produce and consume more. Basically that's it. We need to do more, produce more and consume more. And if we do that, we'll be happy. We'll have more nice things. The more we produce, the more resources we'll get for ourselves in order to be able to get the things that we want. And that's, you know, it's kind of simplifying in a certain way the, uh, the process. And I'm sure that you wouldn't be here without having to some extent questioned that and seen there's a certain hollowness and emptiness in that endeavour. Because obviously coming here is... It's not like uh, you've sort of got the option for collecting a lot of consumer durables or um, even sort of just uh, there's no shop. Well, there is for you know shampoo and uh, toothpaste, but it's not really that exciting, is it? In terms of opportunities for consumption or consumerism, it's pretty limited. Of course, that's not accidental. I'm sure you know. And yet there's this sense of, in, in terms of the way that process of wanting to produce and consume experience plays out in the world, in ourselves we can see there's a very similar process which is this attempt to gain and avoid experience, to get certain things and get rid of others, whatever they might be. And that puts us into a situation, the sense that I need to get rid of these experiences, maybe my sort of reactive mind or those painful feelings or the stiffness of my body that I experience or the energy that's sort of coursing through me and seeming to sort of be too much to contain. Somehow the feeling we need to deal with those things or get rid of them in some way. We need to get something else. We need to get some calm, get some wisdom. As if it was somehow a possession that we would sort of gain or sort of grasp in some way. It leads to a relationship to our experience where we're trying to control it. Where subtly, or not so subtly, we're putting pressure on what's happening to make it conform to our 
image or our expectation of how it should be. Putting pressure on our body, putting pressure on our mind, putting pressure on what we call ourselves, what we imagine ourselves to be, to somehow fit in with an idea or an image that we have. That we imagine when we do fit in with or fulfill, then we'll be happy, then we'll be fulfilled, then we'll be at peace. But we can't control our experience. We can't control what happens for us. It's not to say we don't have some influence on it, but we can't sit down. I mean, I don't know if any of you tried and said, okay, well, it seems like a pretty straightforward thing that's been suggested. Sit down, pay attention, be with my breathing as I feel it in my body. Okay, I'll just do that. Shouldn't it just happen? You know, can't we decide that and then it happens? What's it like to notice that we can't... Such a, you ask a five-year-old child, they probably would say, to you, oh, yeah, I can do that, no problem. It would seem like such a straightforward thing. And yet the fact that we can't just do it as an act of will is pointing to something really important. It's one of the, really the first and most fundamental insights in insight meditation is to see that how our mind is not in our control in the way we've imagined it to be. In fact, it has a mind of its own, so it would seem. This body, sometimes it feels comfortable and pleasurable, sometimes it feels uncomfortable and painful. Sometimes the mind is busy with thought, sometimes it's dull and flat. And here we are, this is our life, this is what's going on. So, within this process, we can start to see that to just follow the same old habitual pattern isn't going to get us anywhere. It's like we're trying to get satisfaction from something that can't give it to us. Worldly experience in and of itself is not something we can get lasting satisfaction from. And yet we so deeply wish for it and hope that it can do that for us. There's a story of uh, Mullah Nasruddin, who's a, a Sufi teaching figure, both a wise man and a fool. And I like to share this story. It's one of my favorites. Where Nasruddin is uh, in the village square on market day. And his friends come and find him sitting beside a large pile of red chilies. And he's picking them up and eating them. And his eyes are streaming, his nose is running, he's flushed and bright red. And he's obviously in quite some distress and discomfort. He's eating these chilies. And his friends come and say, Mullah, Mullah, what are you doing? He responds, I'm eating these chilies. Pops another one into his mouth and his whole body shudders with the heat and the distress and the pain of it. And his friends say, Mullah, Mullah, we can see you're eating these chilies. Why are you eating these chilies? Nazarene looks up and smiles. He says, I keep hoping to find a sweet one. And there's a way in which we're a bit like that. That we keep hoping that if we just kind of get it to the place where we've almost got it to, then whew, it's going to work. It's going to be all right. Ah, then I'll be able to relax. And yet, it's not in the nature of chili to be sweet. Anymore that it's the nature of our experience to be somewhere that we can rest. In terms of any particular combination of circumstances somehow being the resolution of our life. But what it does offer to us is a place we can rest in a different way. When we understand that that is so, when we understand that that is possible, there's a a way we can learn to rest in our life that doesn't depend upon 
what it is that's coming to us, what it is that's happening in us or around us. So what is it that we're really looking for? What is it for you that's really important? And what's the effect of just taking that question in? Not having too quickly to answer it. Say, oh, it's this. I want a nice house or I want to get enlightened or something in between. You know, good relationship, job, car, set of clothes, spiritual experience, quiet mind. All the things that might just sort of seem like they might be the nice things to have. Or maybe something deeper we feel. Because when we really let ourselves feel that question, not not from the mind, not from the thinking, the way I notice it, it touches me. When I can really let myself come there, is there's a sense of kind of just somehow landing more into myself. Somehow feeling more that place which is interested and concerned about my life in a deeper way. And it's not so much that it's to do with the answering of that question of what's important. It's actually letting myself feel where that question comes from. And that's part of what we're doing here. Wanting to start to sense and notice where do the real questions in our hearts come from? Rather than following them, trying to figure out where they're going. Much of our habit and tendency with experience is to try and see where it's going and follow it there. In terms of Dharma practice, we're much more interested to see where's it coming from? What's going on? What's moving that particular energy or direction or thought or feeling or sense? And to see, and so there's this This way in which we turn within, we start to sense that actually we care really deeply about our life. We care really deeply about what it means to be, we could say, happy or at peace or fulfilled or whatever word we might use to represent that 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 which we most deeply yearn for or wish for. Or a call to seek. And the word we use for it doesn't really matter too much. We might not even have any words. It's more like that sense of, oh yeah. When we start to stop and slow down and connect with ourselves, it becomes a little more accessible. It's a little bit less obscured and sort of buried in the, the busyness and the pressure and the rush and the sort of the excitement and the anxiety of of trying to get what we wanted and hoping we will and fearing we're going to end up with what we don't want and being worried that that's going to be the outcome of it all. And just kind of somehow letting all that excitement and anxiety begin to drop away or begin to just kind of not so much necessarily dissolve, although it may, but not be where we're putting our energy, not be where we're putting our our focus. So we're not judging or dismissing the fact that that goes on. We're saying there's something else here that I'm interested in. There's something else here that I want to I want to give my time to. I want to give maybe my life to, even if I don't know what that is. So how do we go about this then? It might seem like a sort of a something we don't really know how to grapple with or engage with. To know that that's okay. That we don't have to have the answers up front. We don't have to know how this practice works in order for it to work. And sometimes when we think it's not working... In fact, it is, but we just don't recognize that because we're looking for something different than what it's offering us. But to give yourself permission to just take this as an exploration, 
to see where it might lead you, to see what might come. Take, give yourself permission to get it wrong, to mess it up, to make a complete, you know, sort of, I don't know what the word would be, hash of it. And start again, and start again. It's like no one's scoring you, no one's judging you, no one here is really in any position to comment on your process and your practice. And yet, it's not easy for us, is it, to just allow ourselves to to see where this takes us. To not so quickly assume that I can't do it, or it doesn't work, or it's no good, or all of the kind of ways we relate to something when we're learning, when we're entering into the territory that we aren't familiar with. Even if we've done it many times before, we can still find ourselves thinking, oh, I used to be able to do it, now I'm not so sure. This tendency to doubt in an unhelpful way comes up. And to know that you're really in good company. Not just the the intrinsic goodness of the fact that others have chosen to come and be here to engage in this practice together, which is something wonderful. But that the very nature of the process that each of us goes through, that each of you are going through, is not going to be that dissimilar to what others are going through. Some of the details will look different. Some of the particulars where we get caught will be those things that we get caught on. But the process itself, of what it involves to really let ourselves Trust the truth of our experience. Trust the fact of our existence. And begin to settle into just that. Keeping it that simple. So, really, not undermining the goodness of your aspiration here, the wholesomeness of what you're undertaking, not underestimating the challenge that's involved in it, to awaken the heart and mind, to liberate the human being. This is an immense undertaking, as noble an undertaking as could be, and equally as challenging as we could face. And yet, what else would we wish to do with our life? So one of the things that it's worth noting in that context is how strongly we are compelled, despite hearing, hopefully, what I'm suggesting there, how, we're, how we tend to feel that what's happening to me is only happening to me. It doesn't happen to other people. How we tend to feel very separate and how we can easily feel that our struggles are very personal in the situation. One of the things that happens here on retreat, and it is reported in interviews with uh, remarkable frequency, is that someone will be sitting meditating. And, you know, the body aches or it's weary or the mind is sort of busy spinning and spinning and spinning or it's kind of reacting or it's just like, at some point, a person just thinks, ah, oh, It's too much. I can't do it. And they open their eyes and they look around and everyone else is sitting there really calm, really still. So serene, it appears. And the person thinks, look, everybody else can do this, but not me. It's like I'm sitting here in a room of soon-to-be-awakened Buddhas. You know, all these... You know, 25 Buddhas and one overcooked vegetable. 
And the sense of frustration or despair or despondency that comes is like, ah. And so then maybe the person just closes their eyes and... And within moments, probably the next person opens their eyes and looks around and sees them sitting there really calm and really still. Wow, look at them. That person's really deep. They're really focused. And we tell ourselves these stories about ourselves and about each other. And yet most of them really have no bearing on the truth of what's taking place. One of the Buddha's very keen observations was that the world we experience is shaped by the way we give attention and what we give attention to. The world we experience is shaped by the way we give attention and what we give attention to. The practice of meditation is essentially the practice of cultivating skillful attention as a vehicle for exploration, as a vehicle for discovery, and as a vehicle for bringing forth the natural capacity we have to be open, to be connected, to be conscious, to be clear, to be awake. And this paying of attention is what we're practicing, is what we're cultivating, is what we're doing. It's giving of attention to our experience. When we're not conscious, when we're not present, we tend to get carried away by unconscious reactivity, where we resist experience that we find uncomfortable or painful, where we pursue experience that we find attractive, pleasant or flattering to us. And that in that resisting and pursuing, we find the effort of that attempt to create a sense of contraction and tightness and entanglement that is actually deeply painful. And often we think that the pain or the dissatisfaction is because of the difficult things we have to experience or because of the lack of those things that we want being here. And yet ultimately what we begin to discover in meditation is that's not so. That the deeper pain, the deeper suffering, is due to the disconnection from our life, due to the the painfulness of being caught in the reactivity of grasping for one thing or rejecting another. And so what we, what we learn to do in cultivating this attentiveness is to, is to unhook from those patterns, those reactions, no matter how often, how frequently, how powerfully they reappear and reassert themselves, to just notice, oh, that's what's happening, and come back, reconnect, touch in. And to not judge ourselves, to not be hard on ourselves, to not blame ourselves in any way, for what arises, but just to do what we can to reconnect, to come back. And a really useful image or metaphor we can, we can have for this is as if we were training a puppy. And, you know, for a puppy to live in the human world, it needs to know certain things or it's just really not going to get on very well. So, so we need to train it to, to heal and to, to follow and to stop and to come and to go according to our instruction. Now what happens with a puppy? If you put it beside your foot as you're walking along, put it at your head and you say, heel. Does the puppy stay there? Or does it go running off? I imagine most would just sort of disappear pretty quickly. Now if when you see the puppy has run off, you go up to it and say, bad dog, I told you to sit here. Come back. And you grab it and put it back down there. 
And probably quite quickly the puppy's going to run off again. If you yell at it again, it's going to start to think, hmm, I'm not sure I want to hang out with that character. They seem angry. And at every opportunity, we'll be heading off to somewhere else. Whereas if when you see the puppy and it's you know running off to chase a butterfly or water a tree, you just say, oh, that's where you are. Look, come over here. Oh, that's where you've gone. Come over here. If you keep bringing the puppy back, it's going to think, hey, that's a pretty friendly character. Maybe I'll hang out here, see what's going on. Seems to know, you know, seems to be a nice idea. That that relationship, that attitude we have to our experience as an underpinning of how we pay attention. is profoundly transforming. That sense of kindly interest, of, oh, that's what's happening. And that combined with the clear intention of what I'm engaged in right now is being present with whatever comes. And I'm using the sense of the breath in the body, the sense of breathing as it's expressed in the actual physicality, as a grounding place, as a as a home base, we could say, that we connect with and that we cultivate and develop as a place we can establish that sense of conscious connection using or making use of that experience to do so. And so then we start to see that in changing the way we're paying attention, so not a judgmental or reactive attentiveness, but an interested and yet intentional focus. So there's a kindliness, there's an interest, and there's an intentionality. This isn't random or accidental. It's like, yeah, we we, we know what our intention is here. To be mindful, to be present, to connect. And then to what we pay attention. Rather than giving so much emphasis to the stories and the ideas that we generate and that we create about what's going on, which tends to be where we habitually live, we start to turn our attention more to the experiences around which or out of which or in relationship to which those thoughts and reactions are arising. We start to notice what it's like simply to be here. And it's not that it's always pleasant or fun or easy, but there's something that we start to notice when we make that our priority. To come into contact with, to rest more and more fully and deeply in the simple actuality of this experience. Even when it's not what we wanted or expected, even if we're not actually quite sure what the heck it is that's going on. But nonetheless, we start to begin to sense there's a hereness to it, a nowness to it, that has in itself something that speaks to us, that we can learn to rest in, that we can learn to trust. So the the spirit of what we're engaging in is not somehow to try and get things to be a certain way. To not be primarily interested with getting more of the pleasant and avoiding anything unpleasant. It's not to say that, you know, we have to somehow make ourselves have unpleasant experiences. There's plenty of them that come along without having to look for them. You know, just the fact of this body and mind. We see that it It's uncomfortable to inhabit it sometimes. It's just how it is. It's not that we've got the wrong body or the wrong mind. Somebody else's is going to be um, of a different nature than that. It's like, no, this is how it is for us. And yet, in that, we can, whatever it is that we encounter, use it as our path. Use it as the ground of our journey. Where we're, rather than looking to see, in a sense, what's in it for me, like, you know, what can I get out of this, or what do I need to get away from here, in the way that we tend to habitually respond to most things when we're not conscious and aware of what's going on. It's more like looking at it, well, what can I learn here? What 
can I cultivate here? So that when things are difficult, we're learning patience. We might think, I'm supposed to be quietening my mind. But when our mind is really busy, we're actually learning acceptance of the fact we can't control our mind. And yet seeing that we can influence it. If we don't struggle with it, if we don't battle with the reactivity of our mind, it starts to naturally settle by itself. There's a sort of a, I guess, a proverb in uh, in India, in which the question is asked: How do you fence in a rogue bull elephant? And a rogue bull elephant, such a a large and powerful beast that any fence you build, it can trample it down. So how would you fence one in? The answer is, put it in a really large field. And if the field is large enough, then it doesn't have any need to trample down the fences. And it doesn't. So when we find that what's going on in our experience seems difficult, rather than trying to somehow quiet it down by sort of closing it down or shutting it down, putting pressure on it, trying to contain it. It's more like give it space. Give your mind space. That doesn't mean abandon yourself or lose yourself in it. It means let it do what it's doing, but just keep coming back. Just keep reconnecting. And you'll see over time that that starts to build a momentum. The habit of the mind, the momentum of the mind, has been built over decades and decades, if not lifetimes. It doesn't just come to an end, because today we thought it would be good if it stopped, and I'd really like to have a peaceful meditation, please. It doesn't happen that way. But what's more important is our orientation. When we we make that shift, and the, the basic shift that turns us from the worldly life to the spiritual life, is when we're no longer just saying, what can I get that's pleasant and avoid that's unpleasant? We're saying more, what can I learn here? Where is the possibility of growing as a being, growing and cultivating that which is wholesome and beneficial to be found within what's happening here? When we're approaching our experience in this way, this is spiritual practice. This is what we're concerned with here. And it seems like it's so much hard work. It's such an effort to have to keep coming back. It would be just easier to space out and spin off, we think. You know, it's like, why do I want to do this? And each moment, yes, it seems like it is, like it requires a certain effort to not be carried away or to let go when we are carried away and just come back. It's like an effort to extract ourselves from the momentum and the, the habit of the mind. And it's true, that does involve a certain effort. And yet the effort of living our life unconsciously is much greater. Because we keep, as it were, banging in to things, not quite knowing what's going on, not knowing why it's so painful or unsatisfying. And and so we, we make this kind of small effort, moment by moment, to just come back, to just reconnect. Keeping it that simple. But being really as wholehearted with that as we're able. And out of that, it's like we, we begin to settle into. We begin perhaps to sense, and perhaps already in moments, to sense the possibility that being conscious and present in this moment offers us. That is not dependent on what's happening, but is very much in the nature of what it means to be here at all. So to notice when we're in the grip of reactivity, distractedness, grasping or aversion, dullness or restlessness, different energies that we've 
perhaps encountered. And to see that with all of those and the noticing of them, we don't have to be subsumed in them. We can just re-establish ourselves right here, right now. And in that it's a bit like when we breathe out and we just allow ourselves to relax. It's sort of a, it's like a dropping. And what's dropping away and what we're dropping into, we don't necessarily need to name. But we start to sense it. It's like there's a certain gravity that begins to build that over time counteracts the momentum of reactivity and busyness and starts to offer to us a refuge in the very midst of this world. A refuge in which and from which we can more and more deeply explore and understand our life. To be at peace in the very midst of it all. So we practice in this way. Out of a sense of deep caring for our own well-being, a caring for life. And this way of paying attention really pays respect. This willingness to trust the fact of our existence, to trust what it is that's being revealed, pays really deep respect to something Remarkable and profound, which is the fact that we are here at all. So let's sit quietly for a moment or two together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.